0: Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash GYQ, supported by an unrestricted educational grant from AstraZeneca. Welcome to this Peer Voice panel discussion on managing hyperkalemia. This activity comprises three presentations featuring Professor Kieran McCafferty and Dr. Shelley Ziros.
1: At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues.
0: Hello, I am Shelley Zeroth from the University of Manitoba, Cardiac Sciences Program in Winnipeg, Canada, and welcome to this activity on managing hyperkalemia. I'm joined in this discussion by my colleague, Kieran McCafferty, from Queen Mary University and Bart's Health NHS Trust in London, UK. Welcome, Kieran. Hi, everybody. So we are going to be uh, doing three modules. We're going to start with module one, overcoming hyperkalemia as a barrier to better care in chronic kidney disease and heart failure. Kieran? Kieran? we know that optimal rasi therapy is associated with decreased mortality and mace in both chronic kidney disease and heart failure um, and that that uh, you know reduction in mortality and mace is even more amplified as we get to target doses of rasi therapy in both of our chronic conditions and in fact RASI therapy is recommended by international guidelines as well. We have our European and Canadian and American HEFREF guidelines that recommend achieving the highest target doses possible of ACE, ARB, ARNI in our case as well, um, and um, MRAs in order to reduce clinical events. And so what about the nephrologists? What do those guidelines say?
1: So very similar. Um, So our case Digo, um recommends ACE or, or B at the highest approved dose for people with diabetes, hypertension, and albuminuria, and those people with hypertension, CKD, uh, and, and and albuminuria. I would say that unfortunately the nephrologists are always hanging behind the cardiologists, as our evidence base is only one B or two C, so not as quite as good as the one A evidence from uh, my cardiology colleagues.
0: So, Kieran, how common is it for you to initiate RASI therapy? in a patient with chronic kidney disease only to have to discontinue um, if the patient's potassium levels start to trend up?
1: So it's incredibly common. So we know that our patients have a very high burden of hyperkalemia and that the the therapies that we know work for our patients for the last two decades lead to hyperkalemia. So um, when starting anyone on uh, an ACE or an ARB, we always tend to check the potassium level one to two weeks Uh, later or ask our primary care colleagues when starting uh, or up titrating these agents to to check the potassium uh, levels one to two weeks later and and it's incredibly common and we're often faced with that dilemma about having to consider reducing the therapies we know are the cornerstone of of management of our patients and, and, and more fundamentally with patients with progressive CKD that they tend to develop um, hyperkalemia as part of their disease process so even when people are on stable doses of RASI we're continually checking their potassium levels to make sure that they're not developing hyperkalemia as a consequence of their progressive renal um, uh, disease but I guess I'm interested from you is we often have discussions between cardiologists and nephrologists about our thresholds um, for hyperkalemia I wonder what your thoughts were on, on perhaps a uh, nephrologist being too blasé about, about hyperkalemia
0: uh, perhaps you are too blasé, um, or my threshold is too low. I, 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 so the, the majority of cardiologists, I think, their threshold for action is a potassium level of about 5.4. Um, we also um, look at our electrolytes, you know, within one to two weeks of any up titration. Uh, and for patients on MRA, we extend that even longer. and then do sort of routine intermittent monitoring, uh, again, looking for that sporadic hyperkalemia. Um, but I'd say 5.4. But what is your threshold?
1: So, so I think nephrologists the there there's always a kind of brav- you know bravado about um, tolerating much higher levels of hyperkalemia that they don't don't get don't get panic the less more than 6.5 or you know or higher. But I think we're wrong. I think that the epidemiological data suggests that that th- th- there's a signal for um, poor outcomes with even moderate mild to moderate hyperkalemia. I think that so. I think that we should be, um, you know, uh, behaving like our cardiology colleagues with sort of 5.4, 5.5. I think the only thing to say with nephrologists is we've got easy access to dialysis that we can wheel our patients round from clinic and, and pop them on a dialysis machine. So I, I can understand perhaps why our cardiology colleagues are a bit more twitched by hyperkalemia than, than nephrologists. But but overall, I think you're right. Earlier your interventions probably better.
0: I love it. I love that you're agreeing with the cardiologist. So let's tackle a couple of cases really quickly because we're going to carry on with these cases um, in the upcoming modules as well. Um, so we have Lisa who's age 67 with chronic kidney disease, declining EGFR from 56 to 49, and some albuminuria present as well. And she has the common comorbidities in this patient population of type 2 diabetes and mild hypertension. And she's currently on Losartan, amlodipine, atorvastatin, and metformin. And I don't think she's on target dose of Losartan, only 50 milligrams, which my, I believe is an important drug for somebody with proteinuric CKD. So how, what, what would be your next steps?
1: So firstly, what I say is, you know, Lisa represents probably one of the most common patients that we see in our clinics. You know, they've got progressive proteinuric CKD due to diabetes, which we know is probably the most common cause of chronic kidney disease. And as you say, yes, so that they're on suitable, you know, agents. They're on a statin, they're on metformin, they're on blood pressure tablets. But I, I would note that they're uh, on a suboptimal dose of losartan, And we know again that we should be trying to get our patients on the maximum dose um, of losartan. So for here, depending on what her potassium was, the first thing I'd be doing is certainly increasing her uh, losartan, and then um, wanting to get her on an SGLT2 inhibitor uh, with proven cardiovascular benefit. Um, and then I I guess, coming back to you in terms of uh the cardiology world so i was wondering if you to comment on on raymond who's 58 um he's got stage c heart failure symptomatic heart failure with a reduced ejection factor of 30 percent uh he's dyslipidemic he is centrally obese his um, gfr is um 60 he's on atorvastatin lisinopril and carvetilol and i'm just wondering what would be your what would be your next steps
0: um, there's so much to do here for Raymond, right? He's uh, a diagnosis of HEF-REF, and we now have our four foundational therapies. He's currently on two of them, um, although one could say as well that uh, we could switch his lisinopril to um, which is associated with lower potassium levels than uh, RASI therapy. Um, we would need to add an SGLT2 inhibitor, and we need to add an MRA. Um, And so, you know, the the mantra is, you know, four drugs in four weeks or start low doses up titrate as much as tolerated. Um, And certainly hyperkalemia can be an issue as we make these changes in therapy. So lots to do for Raymond. The Delphi consensus statement, which I was very fortunate to be part of, was an international steering committee of cardiologists and nephrologists, and we developed 39 statements regarding hyperkalemia, including risk factors, risk stratification, correction of hyperkalemia, and importantly, and part of the reason Kieran and I are doing this together, cross-specialty coordination. And consensus was determined by an online questionnaire to these cardiorenal specialists. And it was actually surprising the amount of consensus between nephrologists and cardiologists. In fact, um, a large number of these recommendations achieved over 90% consensus, Kieran, and, uh, and a, a smaller number achieved a high agreement of 67 to 90% um, consensus. So really impressive there. And now we're going to just tackle two of these six statements that we ended up coming up with in the Delphi consensus. So Kieran, what are your thoughts on those? Delphi consensus recommendations.
1: So I agree. What I would say the, the, the high level message it's it's surprising how well cardiologists and nephrologists agree with each other. I think it's really important that that the vast vast majority um, of nephrologists and cardiologists agree with that statement that it's a predictable, uh, you know, treatable, manageable um, uh, side effect uh, of, of of heart failure and CKD management. I think looking at the second statement about importance of taking a history to try and uh, inform us of preventative measures. I think, again, nephrologists and cardiologists generally agree with each other, but I would suggest that that statement is perhaps uh, less people very strongly agree, but there's still an overall significant agreement with that statement.
0: As part of this activity, Peer Voice conducted a survey of nephrologists and cardiologists. It was an international survey, and they were asked to rate their agreement with key statements from the Delphi consensus statement. And in our survey that we conducted as well, we see that there are a lot of the uh, individuals who responded somewhat agreed or either strongly agreed um, with those two statements as well. So optimally treated RASI therapy can reduce the risk of death and MACE in both heart failure, CKD, and type two diabetes. However, there's often a therapeutic dilemma in terms of getting patients to those target doses. I think you'd agree with that, Kieran, right?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that's the, 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 that we always are that tension between getting one of the right doses while minimizing the risk of hyperkalemia. I totally agree.
0: So in the next modules, we'll explore how we can enable the management of hyperkalemia so that um, it's not a concern to patients, and then we'll be able to achieve our target doses of our guideline-directed medical therapy. Thanks for joining us, and join us for the next modules.
1: Thank you.
0: Welcome to module two, Achieving Optimal Treatment of CKD and Heart Failure Through Effective Management of Hyperkalemia. I'm Shelly Zeroth from the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, Canada, And so this is the second module on this activity on managing hyperkalemia with uh, Kieran McCafferty from Queen Mary University and Barts Health NHS Trust in London, UK. Um, And we've already covered module one, overcoming hyperkalemia as a barrier to better care in CKD and heart failure. And we introduced some cases to you. So why don't we see how our patients are doing now? And so Kieran, We're going to follow up now on Lisa, who is age 67 with albuminuric CKD, and I see that she's still on Losartan 50 milligrams, which isn't exactly target dose RASI therapy, Um, but you've added an SGLT2 inhibitor, dapagliflozin, but now on follow-up lab work, we're seeing that trend up in her potassium from 5.3 to 5.5. And now it's 5.7. So what are you going to do?
1: You know, in an ideal world, I'm still wanting to get uh, Lisa on the maximum dose of sartan. Um, but I'm aware that even despite being on a sub dose of sartan, her um, potassium is increasing up to the level of 5.7 as a nephrologist, That's a level where I, really, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't want to be increasing a low sartan anymore. I'd be... Reluctantly thinking about reducing your low sartan or thinking about other therapies uh, that we can, that we can, um, uh, you know, involve. I'd also be maybe thinking about talking to you about our diet. And I guess we can um, come on to, you know, uh, what our, what our, our, I would like to ask a phone a friend and ask our survey colleagues what they think that we should do.
0: Okay. Well, here are the responses from the survey. Your phone a friend. Um, and we have uh, cardiologists and nephrologists, and the, the cardiologists in response to this case, um, the majority of them would have reduced the doses of the RASI therapy. Uh, and then the nephrologists were less likely to do that and potentially add in a novel potassium binder.
1: So I think that's probably you know what I would be, in an ideal world, what I would be uh, recommending, particularly as I'd want to be increasing her low her losartan anyway. And so I think that I'm glad that I probably agree with my nephrology, uh, my nephrology colleagues. But but what I would say looking at that, there seems to be quite a wide spectrum of. There's not one overwhelming um, uh, decision from our from our our survey.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting. Um, you know, the uptake in these newer potassium binders in comparison to SPS.
1: I guess now uh, over to you. So this is uh, Raymond, and actually his potassium even higher than Lisa's. His potassium is six. Which has increased from four point five, um, maybe about a you know four weeks ago after he started um, spironolactone. I see that you've also um, added on an SGLT two inhibitor, uh, and his blood pressure is you know I guess uh, you know at target. Um, so, what would you be doing now in this case, for Raymond?
0: Yeah. So for a ref patient with that blood pressure, there's actually even more room to uptitrate these therapies, including the RASI therapy. And I've started an MRA, so um, it could be that that MRA is causing my um, high potassium as well. Uh, Six is kind of a big jump. And so I think one of the first things I would do is probably repeat it. Um, as quickly as possible, and if it persisted, then I would send to the emergency room. But I think um, I'm interested in what our survey respondents said about this, um, you know, what they would do for next steps as well.
1: So, so here's looking at our survey response, and I think the, the first thing I would say is overall, um, the most popular response from uh, from the, the overall is is discontinue the RASI until the hyperkalemia results. But I, but again, across the survey, there's a bit of a widespread. So um, uh, there's a sort of a quarter look to want to repeat the potassium, which is what you said, as well as adding in a, a novel potassium, uh, a potassium binder. I think perhaps more cardiologists were feeling that they wanted to discontinue the RASI therapy uh, compared to nephrology. But uh, apart from that, there's a kind of nephrologists and cardiologists seem to uh, agree on what the options are, albeit that they they disagree on what they should be?
0: Yeah, I think discontinuing the RASI therapy, a lot of us probably would do that, but then reintroduce it and potentially with an enabling therapy like the novel potassium binders, um, which make it a, more, a, a safer environment. And certainly we have um, some data to support that practice and even some consensus recommendations and guideline recommendations um, to consider that approach as well. So let's reflect back on the Delphi consensus recommendations. We began discussing this in module one. And so there are two more of the six statements here uh, that we came up with that had high consensus amongst nephrologists and cardiologists. So the first one is RASI use should not be de-escalated or discontinued due to hyperkalemia, unless alternative measures of hyperkalemia management have been optimized. And the following statement is, novel potassium binders should be the preferred agent to manage hyperkalemia and should be used to enable and maintain optimized RASI therapy. So shall we go to see what our survey respondents thought about the Delphi consensus statements?
1: I think what I would say is that Generally, the, the agreement between the cardiologists and nephrologists is very similar. I think that if you consider somewhat agree or strongly agree, the vast majority of, uh, of both, um, groups certainly, um, agree with, uh, the, uh, label, uh, the first, the first, uh, question. I I would, I would look at the second point about novel potassium biters should be the preferred agent, uh, that, that the most common, um, response from the cardiologist was either neutral or somewhat agree. So there appears to be a slight disparity, whereas the nephrologists uh, would more strongly agree with that statement than than the cardiologists. It may just be a, a greater familiarity with potassium binders, perhaps from from nephrologists over cardiologists. So we know that for people who've who have stopped their RASI therapy, you know, there's a mean duration of discontinuation of 1.9 years for people with heart failure and 2.4 years. For people with chronic kidney disease, and actually, what I would argue is that stopping the RAS therapy for people with chronic kidney disease, we know those people will progress more rapidly towards dense adrenal failure, and we know that real, you know, rapid renal progression towards dense adrenal failure is one of the most important um, things to develop hyperkalemia. So I think it's a it's a double whammy here, so that you're you know you're denying them evidence based therapy, and you're making hyperkalemia perhaps more likely because they're going to progress um, more rapidly. I think. You know, having 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 stopped people's RASI therapy because of hyperkalemia, it's incredibly difficult to convince patients to take them again. You know, patients say to me, I'm allergic to ramipril because someone had told them that the ramipril was stopped because of their hyperkalemia. And it's very difficult to get them back on these medicines, which we know in our heart of hearts is, is what they need. So it's a, it's a big challenge. And I think, you know, I agree with um, the guidelines that say, that, you know, the last thing we should be, the, the last thing we do, is stop the, the RASI therapy. We try to do every other thing first before accepting defeat and, and stopping the RASI therapy.
0: You know, there's um, an interesting consensus statement uh, that was uh, published in a European Heart Journal. It was a consensus statement led by Professor Rosano um, that gave cardiologists a really practical, pragmatic approach um, to uh, enabling Guideline directed medical therapy with the use of novel potassium binders based on the serum potassium levels and whether or not the patients achieved target levels of RASI therapy. And, and, And so I think you know it's important for us to not remove disease modifying therapy, but enable their use and maximal dose achievements. Um, what did you think about those guidelines or those? Con- it's not a guideline, it's consensus recommendations.
1: So I think, you know, you've got to have a target somewhere. And, and I guess my only, my only thought of that is that, you know, if I saw someone with a potassium of 5.1 who was on submaximal therapy, would I start a potassium binder first? Or when I try and get them up to a maximal therapy, accepting a potassium level of 5.2, 5.3 before, you know, getting a on a potassium binder? But I totally understand that, you know, it's a wide. It's a wide um, uh, target range and we've got to, you know, choose a point somewhere. Um, but but yeah, it's for me, it's, it's a, you know, and I hate that. I, I would not want to in any way come across any uh, or anger any cardiologist, but I, I would maybe have, you know, potassium at 5.4, 5.5 if we are not on optimized dose before going in with a, a potassium binder as, as first line.
0: Why don't we go back to our survey respondents and look at their threshold for reducing the dose of RASI therapy or discontinuing RASI therapy. What are your thoughts on this one?
1: So, so looking back, what I would first of all say is that you know the cardiologists and phrologists are are very much in sync with what their decisions are. And so, looking at the first, uh, the first uh, question is, um, what potassium level would you? Uh, use as a threshold for reducing the dose of RASI therapy, and the the vast majority have said between five and six. And I'm sure if it was five point one, you'd have very few, and I'm sure if it was five point nine, you would have you know almost everybody um, stopping or or reducing the RASI therapy. Um, and and then looking at the I guess the second question is, what would you uh, use as the threshold for discontinuing, so stopping the RASI therapy? So I guess the vast majority wait until um, more than uh, more than six and uh, and and you know i guess that's probably in line with the 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 guidance as long as you've tried all the other um methods
0: so you know we have three agents that um we can use for reduction of potassium sps ptermir um sodium zirconium cyclosilicate so do you want to tell us about you know important differences between these and how to use them in real life
1: so so i guess what i i would say is that you know these three agents are very much not equal. What I would say is that, you know, both these agents are a huge step forward in our ability to manage, um, uh, hyperkalemia. As you can see from the table, um, is a, is a polymer exchange resin, whereas, um, sodium zirconium silicate is a crystalline compound that exchanges sodium for hydrogen. They both, um, act to reduce, uh, potassium levels much more rapidly than, than SPS. So within 24 hours for um, SEC or within a week for Ptermer, although there are data that suggests that there is a significant fall in potassium levels in, in the kind of hours. Um, uh, so yeah, within seven hours of first dose, within one hour uh, of the first dose. And that's the kind of area where, you know, we can start to using these agents to, you know, fairly rapidly normalize um, or at least um, start reducing people's um, potassium levels. Um, in terms of drug-drug interactions, so uh, with patermer, um we want to avoid taking Poteramer within three hours of other oral drugs. With um, SCC, it's uh, within two hours, uh, apart from drugs that are, um, are affected by gastric um, pH bioavailability. In terms of their location, um, Poteramer is predominantly distal colon, um, SCC is the entire um, GI tract, and, and this is, I think, is where the novel potassium binders are particularly differentiating from from SPS. It's just that patients get on with them so much better. They, they, they don't tend to have any um, symptomatic side effects. I mean, the reported ones with the are hypomagnesemia and some um, GI side effects, mild to moderate constipation. Again, with SCC, there's mild to moderate GI side effects and some uh, edema in in the higher doses. But you know, overall, both these agents are so much better tolerated that our older potassium uh, binders. I
0: agree with you on your statement. So um, why don't you close this session for us and we'll move on to module three.
1: Great. So, so you know, I think in this, in this module we've talked on, you know, that we know that RASC therapy is a cornerstone of management for our patients with CKD and diabetes and that, that we can use oral potassium binders as guidelines, as our guidelines tell us to help enable uh, dose maintenance or dose escalation of our patients who can benefit from these uh, therapies and there are lots of trials underway to evaluate uh, our novel potassium binders as an adjunct to enable uh, RASI maintenance up titration. We know, uh, including a uh, diamond study for, uh, for Paterma, which is recently published. And there's realized K and stabilized CKD for SCC. So we very much look forward to seeing you in the next module.
0: Welcome to module three on a discussion about hyperkalemia. In Module 1, we introduced hyperkalemia as a barrier to better care for patients with chronic kidney disease and heart failure. In Module 2, we looked at effective management of hyperkalemia. And now in Module 3, we're going to look at practical strategies for long-term management of hyperkalemia. I'm Shelley Ziroff from the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, Canada, and this will be our final module on managing hyperkalemia, and I am joined with my colleague, Kieran McCafferty, from Queen Mary University and Barts Health NHS Trust in London, UK. Welcome, Kieran. Hi, everybody. So let's see what happens to our cases that we introduced in the previous modules after the hyperkalemia resolves. So let's look at Lisa. Uh, Again, Kieran, you're managing her hyperkalemia, and getting her now to target doses um, of RASI therapy. She's on Losartan, 100 milligrams, and remains on the other medications, including the SGLT2 inhibitor that you started. And she's on sodium zirconium cyclosilicate with a latest potassium value from 4.5, remembering that her peak level was 5.7. So, what would you do now, Kieran, in the long-term management of this patient who has a tendency for hyperkalemia?
1: You know, to me, she's an optimised therapy. We've got her on the max dose of sartan. We've got her on dapagliflozin. Her potassium is uh, in the normal range, so I'm I'm really happy with how things are. The question now is, what what do we do? So, you know, I guess the question is, do we stop the uh, the, the potassium binder? I mean, I would think of it as someone's hypertensive and you start on an inhibitor, and they're now not hypertensive, does that mean you stop the inhibitor? No. You still continue it because it's doing the, the, the job. And you know, arguably people with chronic kidney disease, you know, develop hyperkalemia even without RASI therapy. So I would argue if she's tolerating it well and she's on a max dose, Sartan and her potassium's well controlled, I would not rock the boat and I'd be tempted to continue um the the therapy uh as you know as long as, you know they tolerate the, 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 the medicine.
0: All right. So let's see what our survey respondents said.
1: What I would say is, uh, first of all, there's a general always you know, agreement between the cardiologists and nephrologists with perhaps the nephrologists thinking more about, about diet. But overall, they are, they are, they are um, very similar in their responses. So I guess that, the, that there's a major split between continue uh, anti therapies to continue the binders, um, and I would not intervene further at this time. And I guess not intervening further is continuing. So I would almost argue that, you know, you could combine those two and then, uh, others would consider reducing the anti, the anti hyperkalemic therapy. So consider reducing the, the binders. And I, I can understand that, that, you know, potassium is normal. There's always the temptation to maybe reduce, um, the, the, the dose of binders. Certainly maybe if they were on a, a large dose. Of, of binder, you could think about maybe reducing it and accepting, you know, a, a potassium level slightly higher. But I think the overall myth here is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If the potassium level fine, I would continue it all. So over to you. So now we've got, um, Raymond. So, um, his potassium level is 5.1 from 4.5 at the last check. Um, his, his RASI doses were reduced when managing his hyperkalemia. And so remembering backwards that he's got um, HFREF dyslipidemia, he's on uh, a statin, an ACEVITR, a beta blocker, SGLT2, an MRA, and Pateromer. Over to you, what would you do?
0: Yeah, so his doses of RASI therapy uh, were reduced while managing the hyperkalemia. Um, while on Pateromer, I might try to uptitrate some of the RASI therapy if the blood pressure Um, allowed me to do so, because we know that achieving target doses is really um, important still. Uh, Although the mantra is low doses of all four foundational therapies, we may uh, need to up titrate here. And furthermore, there is a, you know, an opportunity here to switch from lisinopril to sucubitril-valsartan, which is associated with less hyperkalemia, which then may allow me to further titrate the spironolactone too. So I think we have lots of options here. And if we look at what the survey respondents said, the nephrologists said they would gradually increase the doses of RASI therapy. And some of the cardiologists said that as well, um, almost 50% of cardiologists. So I think that that sort of aligns with my approach, um, and and it really gives you the, you know, more security and safety in doing so. So the question is, Kieran, how, like, what do you do with this hyperkalemic therapy that you have on board? You know, one patient had SZC on board. The other patient, we used uh, patermer for a novel potassium binder to facilitate uptitration of our RASI therapy. Um, what considerations are there in terms of the long-term management here?
1: So, what what you would be concerned about is if you stop the potassium binder, the potassium level rose. They got taken into the ER, and they get, and someone told them, "Oh, you must stop your MRA or your uh, ARB." And then the patient's obviously left confused and worried that the, the medicines that we know are the cornerstone of their therapy are somehow worrying or or scaring. As I've said before, it's you know trying to convince patients to go back on these medicines when they've been told to reduce them or stop them is always challenging. So, you know, if patients are on a, a, a you know, a potassium and are getting all well with it, then, you know, it would seem reasonable that we should continue it on, particularly as we know from trial data that for both patermer and SEC that the potassium were well-controlled, stable out to one year. And so, and, and obviously beyond one year, you know, I can't imagine there's a biological plausibility why suddenly it would stop after a year. And so I think, you know, it's clear that both these agents have been demonstrated in, in long term, albeit only out to a year therapy, that we can continue on these agents, you know, uh, for as long as patients need. Bearing in mind, particularly in, in the t- terms of CKD, is that as patients progress, they're more likely to develop hyperkalemia, they're more prone to develop hyperkalemia. And so, you know, we should be continuing on these therapies for as, as long as, as as possible.
0: Great. I agree. And um, you know, some further clinical trial evidence that recently was uh, presented and published uh, was from the Diamond trial, which enrolled HEFREF patients who either had a history of hyperkalemia or were at risk of hyperkalemia, um, and those patients were initiated on pitiramir in order to optimize the RASI therapy, including ACE, ARB, or ARNI, or um, also to initiate or optimize MRA. Uh, and so there was a run-in phase, and once randomized, either the pateromere was continued or it was withdrawn um, in that patient population um, that had been optimized. And what they found was that most patients, in fact, over 80% with HFREF RASI-related hyperkalemia could actually achieve their optimal doses of RASI, including an MRA, when they were treated with patiromer, and they were maintaining normal serum potassium levels. And the win ratio for hyperkalemia events accounting for mortality and morbidity um, and the overall RASIU score was significantly higher with the tyramer treatment. So we were really seeing that these novel potassium binders were enabling optimization of guideline-directed medical therapy. And there's a couple more in the pipeline that I should allude to. There's the realized k that's going to be looking at a similar HEFREF patient population in the management of high potassium in those patients um, and seeing if we can optimize RASI therapy, including MRA. So that is enrolling patients right now. And then the stabilized CKD patient population is going to be looking at SZC in the CKD population. So two SZC trials coming uh, up in the near future to give us more evidence-based to to discuss. So why don't we go back to the Delphi consensus recommendations. We tackle some of these in Module 1 and 2. These are the last two statements from the Delphi consensus recommendation. Um, Closer cross-specialty collaboration would help optimize outcomes for individuals with cardiorenal disease. Clinical teams should be encouraged and supported to Identify suitable methods to achieve this within their care setting. And the second or the very last statement to cover is consistent treatment approach should be the goal of new and updated guidelines that support people with cardiorenal disease and cross-specialty support should be sought for these to ensure aligned clinical practice. And um, Kieran, what are your thoughts on these? And we have some survey data uh, with our respondents as well.
1: I think these are, you know, no brainers that they, we need to work more closely together. uh, And, you know, we need to uh, apply evidence-based medicine for our patients. So, you know, I I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad that our survey, uh, equally, um, agree so that there's very little difference between the cardiologists and nephrologists and the vast, vast majority of, of, uh, the respondents, more than 80% or 90% either agree or strongly agree with those statements. So I think we can definitely, we can definitely say that we're all in alignment with those important um, uh, statements. So to conclude in this um, third module, what we've learned is that potassium binders can allow us to optimize our patients to get them on evidence-based therapy, that these agents are safe and effective in the long term with evidence out to one year. And you know, for us, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if their potassium level is well controlled, we should be keeping going um, with our potassium binders. And then finally, Um, our our Delphi consensus document really as a call to action to work, break down our silos, work across uh, disciplines to really apply evidence-based medicine to improve the outcome for these multimorbid patients.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us on these modules for hyperkalemia. Kieran, it's been a pleasure um, participating in this cross-specialty collaboration for this discussion.
1: Great. I hope everyone finds it useful and a cross speciality, cross continental uh, discussion. This
0: has been an activity published by Peer Voice.